Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to episode 3 of series 11 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. My guest today is Wagner Denuso, who has a wonderful job title as Head of Capabilities for Future of Work, where he is leading the effort to design the organisation of the future at Prudential Financial. Wagner's team is responsible for organisational design and capabilities. He is overseeing the development of an extraordinary end-to-end employee experience, as well as the transformation of learning, careers and skills development for the future, and the creation of a talent marketplace. In our conversation, Wagner and I discuss the role of HR in the wider transformation of Prudential Financial, how Prudential Financial is using data to understand skills and careers opportunities. We look at why employees and the organisation have a shared responsibility for careers and upskilling. We also look at how to build a culture of mobility encompassing leaders, managers and employees. And we look at the business outcomes that internal mobility can drive. This episode is a must listen for anyone interested or involved in skills, learning and workforce planning. So that's business leaders, CHROs and anyone in a people analytics or HR business partner or learning role. Support for this podcast is brought to you by Orgview. In an era when market dynamics are constantly shifting, Orgview is the leading organisational planning and design software that puts businesses on the front foot. It harnesses the power of data and modelling to build more adaptable and better performing organisations. What Orgview does best is give you control of your organisation and, with the data evidence, help you make faster, more confident decisions to get the right people doing the right work at the right cost. This is real-time organisational decision-making for times of change. That's why Orgview is used by the world's foremost companies and consulting firms to fearlessly build their organisations of the future today. To discover more, visit the website at orgview.com. That's orgvue.com. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Wagner Denuso, Head of Capabilities for Future of Work at Prudential Financial to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Wagner, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. And can you provide listeners with a brief introduction to your background and also your wonderfully titled role at Prudential Financial? It's one of the best job titles I've heard. Sure. Thank you so much, David, for inviting me for the podcast. I'm excited to be here because there's so much to be talked about in Future of Work. Yes, my title is the Head of Capabilities for Future of Work. I think it's a a title that not many people have. I'm very excited to have the privilege to have that title and the team. Um, But my my whole career has been very fluid. I started in employee assistance programs. I was a counselor in employee assistance programs. And from there, all the way until now, after 25 years in the industry, I had the opportunity to work in talent strategy at IBM. I had the opportunity to do a lot of executive coaching in my own practice, uh, doing talent development, and really understanding what creates high performance in, in workplaces. And I spent the last 20 years really focusing on leadership development. Um, I think if you ask me what my expertise is in leadership development. So a Prudential is about transforming Prudential in all areas of our business. So now I have a team of workforce analytics, career services, learning and development, um, and org design, and all the enhanced services that we developed for the transformation. So it's very robust, but it's very exciting. So you you talked about potential financial is transforming. 
That's great. It, um, it's a you know, and, and obviously that role you've, you've got a lot of different sort of parts of that uh, as part of your role. What is the role of HR in the wider organizational transformation at, at Prudential? That's interesting because it's evolving rapidly. The transformation started a few years ago, and we did a cultural jam so people understand our cultural aspirations. In fact, we are deliberately trying to be the most adaptable HR uh, team in the world because. We are already starting a transformation in financial services and insurance. Then uh, we really focused on our culture, our employee experience, and then COVID hit. It was really incredibly important for us to pivot very quickly into the digital world. And actually, it worked really well. But the HR team is front and center in our transformation because we know it's about skills, about capabilities. It is about bringing the best talent. It is about having the composition, I call the workforce composition, that really accelerates the value creation for our customers. At the end of the day, it's all about customers. And HR is human-centric, employee-centric, and customer-centric. I mean, that's, I mean, thinking with that customer at the, at, at the end is a, is a good way to go about a transformation. And, you know, let's be honest, how many times have we talked about transforming HR and not thought about our customers either in the business or, or, or outside the business? It's interesting, actually, what you were saying. In, we've, we've just conducted some um, research around operating models for, for people analytics or workforce analytics, and we're seeing a clear in, investment and growth in roles such as people analytics consultants, so i.e. going out to the business, understanding business needs, and then bringing those back to, to for HR and, and people analytics teams to work. Can you tell us a bit about your HR consulting model? I believe from our previous conversations, you've got six points of engagement so that you can tailor to the specific part of the business that you're dealing with. Can you tell us a little bit about how that works? So I think listeners will be particularly engaged by that. Yeah, thanks so much, David. It's very interesting because it's connected to adaptability and agility in HR. So we form what we call talent catalysts. It's a group of very senior and professional HR folks from different areas of HR. And we created what we call six points of engagement because we noticed that during a transformation, there are so many areas that we need to focus on. But the reality is we need to start where the client is. Business units are at different stages in their maturity in the transformation. So we need to start where they need most help. It's a flexible arrangement because the operating model, we prefer to call an operating system because the system is a little more flexible and more dynamic. If you think about different areas moving, they impact each other. So to make a long story short, the six points of engagement are capabilities that we bring to bear during the transformation, transformative change, talent strategy for an agile organization, skills assessments, learning journeys for the upskilling and reskilling efforts that we are doing, reinventing jobs, working very closely with compensation for reinventing jobs, and the workforce analytics that comes in is to help us in a new way organize the design of the organization. So the organizational design takes a different quality for us because it's based on capabilities. And workforce analytics cut across all this because we need, as I always say, systems of record, systems of insights, and systems of engagement. So we have all three with six points of engagement. And I love the idea of Talent Catalyst. It's an, another great name. I think you guys are definitely getting some good names of job titles and, and, and roles here. You shared also when we, we spoke a couple of weeks ago, one of your mottos for, for HR consultants or Talent Catalysts, as you call them, be engaged, don't be attached. 
I think that's great, you know, and can you tell us a little bit more about what that means in, in practice? Actually, it's a very tangible way of uh, saying, hey, we are going to be there as, as much as we need to be and for as long as we need to be. But then we move on to the next. So we have right now hundreds of initiatives under this transformation. And it's imperative that we have capacity management for that. It is kind of a consulting model. So we deploy uh, uh, one or two, sometimes three, because the business can be uh, talking about more than one, six points of engagement. And we need to rapidly move that team to another area, move to another business, because what we are doing is infusing with the expertise and enablement and letting the teams really execute with support of workforce analytics in our teams. So it's important that we have this catalyst as catalyst of change, but they have not to be fully attached because the moment you get emotionally attached to something, you lose sight of the diversity of thought and the divergent thinking that can lead to the next innovation. So it's very important for us not to be emotionally attached, but fully engaged is good because we create high-performing teams. You, you mentioned you've got hundreds of requests from across the business. How, how do you prioritize which ones to, to, to vote resources on? I mean, I presume capacity can be a challenge at times. So it'd be interesting how you prioritize. That's interesting. We do have a centralized transformation office and we are represented there. Technology is represented there and process improvements are represented there. So we have this triad and it comes to fruition through the senior leaders who meet weekly is a very agile way of doing things because decisions are made within hours. And once they are made, we know the prioritization um, according to the highest value, the greatest opportunity for the capability building and the feasibility of doing things fast. So the prioritization comes very clear after the sessions every week and we deploy accordingly. Of course, there is always uh, initiatives that don't have our direct support. So what we do is enabling HR partners to do the work. There is a lot of enablement that we do currently with coaching circles. It's a great way of magnifying and, and, and multiplying the effort and also office hours. And we are always ready to assist. So the enablement is a key feature as well. And I imagine, you know, the fact that you meet regularly to prioritize was so important during the pandemic, which let's be honest, we're still in. Things are happening so quickly, weren't they? So that need to prioritize and reprioritize, I guess, is, is, is so important. Very much so. It makes me feel very proud because our survey, our employee engagement survey this year went up. When we all thought after transformation, so much change, so much uncertainty would lead to a lower engagement and actually went up because the way we responded to the uh, epidemic was incredibly supportive. So our CEO was on a weekly basis supporting our employees. So it makes a difference. It's all about the relationship we have with our employees. And this year, actually, we were proud to say the engagement go up. Well, that's good. Well, that, that kind of leads nicely onto the next question. You talked about, you know, this is a, a huge transformation of the organization. Uh, it involves, you know, skills is at the heart of that, of course, understanding the skills that you've got and the skills that you need. And I'd be really un interested to understand, you know, how do you use data to understand skills and career opportunities, both from an employee perspective, but also from, from an organizational perspective as well. Sure, and I think it's gonna continuously grow exponentially if you ask me, because it becomes foundational now. Nobody can start from not knowing, and data brings the knowledge, but you do need a system of record that's accurate. So having a data lake, we have a data lake and we use all the tools available to bring that data into a centralized space 
where we can derive a lot of insights. I think that's really important because most of us have different systems coming together and it's important to have a trusted source of truth. But when you think about transformation, it's about capability building. And we are focused on value drivers and capability building. What that means is actually after you identify the capability, a great example is customer service. We want them to become financial wellness advocates. It's beyond of responding to the client's needs and going into relationship building so we can start offering a financial wellness, more comprehensive services. And we are all moving from products to service. So the data is about the customer. A lot of data about our employees' skills go into this. And it's important for us to create the architecture. One is the reporting. Now we have a platform. I think I mentioned Skills Accelerator when we talked before. It's our telemarketplace. Everybody's in a telemarketplace nowadays but it's infused with the AI and machine learning. So our employees who don't have resumes ready because they have long tenure, we tend to have long tenure employees, they are extremely happy to see that we have inference of skills from their LinkedIn profile or for whatever we put in the, in the machine. That leads to very good dashboards. We are using a lot of Tableau. Data visualization is key for us because the spreadsheets are out. Tableau and BI, Power BI are in. So data visualization is helping us really identify the skills we have, identify the capabilities that we could build with those skills. And skill clusters is the new frontier. Um, it's building more than skills, it's building capabilities. So data serves us across all six points of engagement, but most notably in skills assessment and identifying of what the predictive capability. We are not there yet, but we need to start predicting what could be our next game. But you are inferring skills rather than going out and asking people. We have 84% of our people uh, domestically in the tool already, and that was voluntary. And this is really, really good good news for us. Without getting into the details, you may not give the exact number. Are you, you know, is it is the skills you're inferring accurate as well? So you're going out and testing it with, with employees, presumably as well. Yeah, there's a validation process. And it's very cool because then you start telling people, think about your capabilities that you're building. Think about all the activities you have in your life. It doesn't necessarily need to be tied to the role you play at Prudential. But if you're a coach in a team of your kids, if you are a, somebody who took off to, do a, to write a book, all the skills you gain from your life experiences, we want you to add in. Because the work-life, workplace, and personal lives blending are really conducive to creating new capabilities, if you ask me. I think it's very positive, actually. And let's think about it from a, a kind of that employee perspective now, because obviously that data is really helpful that, that it can help employees in terms of understanding their potential pathways within Prudential. You've talked about that desire for careers and upskilling. To, it's a shared responsibility between the employee and the organization, really. You know, both can get benefit. How do you put this into to practice? Yeah, oh, that's interesting. On this platform, because as I said, systems of records, data lakes, systems of insights, we have several tools, but now systems of engagement, if you don't have the engagement with the employee directly, where they can experience the platform, the digital platform, if businesses are digital platforms, the employee experience has to be through a digital platform as well, especially in a distributed workforce now. 
And it's interesting because we had career principles and it was a little more rigid. There was 10 items and then we have the talent philosophy. It becomes a little cumbersome. And with the idea of simplicity and simplification, we reduced the career principles to very simple ways of doing this and talking about it. Is you own your career, so own it. Learn and grow because that's the way you're going to grow your career as well and make an impact because that's the way you're going to advance your career. And it's very simple because now people understand the shared responsibilities because we have the responsibility to orient them. What are the declining skills that they need to be careful if they are in the category? And what are the emerging skills that they need to be attentive to start upskilling themselves? And we provide on the, on the platform the skill gaps. If you want to achieve a, a different career path, you have the opportunity to understand the skill gaps. And on top of that, we have career services. Very few, I think, companies have career services. In fact, we have dedicated career partners who meet with people one-on-one up to two times a year. And we have workshops from skills-based workshops to learning agility. They're really helping ignite a new thinking and mindset for our leaders as well. So you're kind of bringing in that, that skills data. You're helping employees understand, you know, what, what does that help them do now within the organization? What could they do Additionally, if they acquire some additional skills, you know, so there's learning, but there's also that career advice as well to actually help them really get there where they need to get to. And, and also how, how desirable those skills are within the company as well and how more desirable they're likely to be in the future. I mean, what sort of feedback have you had from, from employees? But presumably you're asking them, you know, what they like, what they, you know, what it, you know, what they like about this. Well, we continuously post people, and and this feedback loop never stops. The great thing is that people see that now they have tools, tangible ways of assessing their skills, tangible ways of seeing what's happening in the industry. Before was, you know, just messaging, just messaging without tools doesn't allow the employee to take responsibility for their careers. So a lot of this has been helping on the transformation as well, uh, because we are very honest and transparent with our people. Sometimes we might have to make decisions, different decisions about the workforce models that we use. And with that, people will start becoming attentive to take responsibilities for themselves. They are very favorable. Uh, when you look at the EQ is our employee survey, uh, they mentioned Skills Accelerator as a great tool uh, a lot. And when I see feedback from, look, the, we already achieved from March when we start career services, we already had over a thousand sessions already. So there's a lot of conversations and um, 4,000 of our employees already took opportunities to participate in workshops. So you have a, a great movement that's really groundbreaking if you think about employee for employees and we are trying to, to get the feedback. The feedback is being tremendous. The feedback that we have to work on, of course, is they want to know what are the opportunities now. And it's hard because we are reinventing jobs. We are reinventing organizations. So there will be new roles, new jobs. And that's when we are going to see if we can be really successful in 2021, when we are identifying the new jobs. You know, when you address mobility in organization, you recommend opportunities to individuals anywhere from two levels to up or two to one level down. So I think you've got that kind of sometimes it's a sideways movement sometimes it's even a slight downwards movement if you want to call it that because it helps further the career how do you build a culture of mobility in prudential financial so that employees and managers see the opportunity in such moves and don't hoard talent for example we have ways to go of course i'm not going to say that this is done but the great thing is this we know we must do this 
and we know the benefits. So people are already trusting belief. There is a belief. Uh, there is a belief in our racial equity work. There is a belief in our opportunity for employees first. In fact, we put, a, we put in place, um, there are no racks open externally without being open internally for two weeks. You see, we already put in place policies that is advancing our, our strategy. And people feel that this is being done in a positive intent. That's really critical. The employees are coming with us to do this. And we are already seeing year on year 11 points increasing in internal uh, jobs field um, that didn't require agencies, that didn't require external posting. This is fantastic for us because our code uh, chairman and our CEO, really the vice chairman and the CEO are really clear about this. We want to give our employees opportunity to grow with us because employees first. It's fantastic. I, I, I love the culture. I love the intent. And I think employees seeing the, the value of this. You actually, as you said, you recommend opportunities two levels up to one level down. And that was important. People at first said, why are you recommending this in a different function? Because now people are becoming alerted to the fact that actually cross-functional movement is really good and healthy for your career. I think we are creating a, an idea that you build more capability by growing experiences. And people are doing, I have somebody on my team, and this has been so gratifying. I have somebody who came from retirement. She used to do operations in retirement. She saw the role of communications for skills accelerated in the upskilling and reskilling. And she said, I might not have all the skills, but I would like to be part of the HR. And actually, we hire her with skills adjacency. That's another terminology that we are going to be very normalizing, I think, moving forward, which is if you have a high adjacency, it's easy for a manager to give you an opportunity because you have some upskilling you do on the job. If it is low adjacency, it's an opportunity for you to make a plan for your career. If you want to achieve the two levels higher or in a different function, you need to plan your career development experiences that will lead you there. And we provide you that. So I think skills adjacency is another terminology that people are getting used to understanding. How do you measure skills adjacency? Well, I, it's not that difficult because, well, there's so much, but I'm going to just be simplifying here. We have a skills library, but, but we have ontology. We are not following the taxonomy because it locks you into verticals of career, um, job families and all that in professions. We prefer ontology because those skills can be captured in any grid that you form for, for professions in categories of jobs. But more than that, I think what's interesting is that people understand that they need to, to do it for themselves. So the, the two levels up, for example, instills some kind of excitement because they know they can achieve a, a level beyond where they are. But when, when we give them something very different, actually, what's, what's really triggering is curiosity. People are very curious about why I'm giving them something outside. And we have great examples of successful cross-functional movement. And managers now are learning. If I let my people go, I get other talent in. So this talent marketplace is coming to fruition very quickly. And I guess that cross-functional thing is so important because for so long people stay in their functions, siloed from each other. And we've seen, you know, with the influx of people in, uh, you know, skills in people analytics coming into organizations over the last few years, you know, a lot of those analysts in particular are coming from working on marketing side or in finance and kind of infusing some of that analytic knowledge into, into HR because as a function, HR is typically a little bit behind marketing, for example, in, in doing analytics. 
and I think it's great for careers as well because as you said with the example that you gave you know you've got you've got someone who's been working in a, a part of the business for a long time she's now bringing that skills and expertise into HR and probably providing a much different perspective than someone who maybe be working in HR all their all their lives so uh, yeah I mean it's it's great that technology and data is kind of making this possible a little bit I mean I, I mean obviously you shared one example there around um, the number of internal jobs that have been filled are there any other business outcomes or results from the internal mobility work that you can you can share with listeners I, I think that we, what we are creating is that culture of internal mobility and I think that's very powerful we can't measure yet because I think with the post service next year we are going to be more clear about the impact. Uh, but we see already people talking that way. You know, I've been on my road for two years. Time to go. It's time to move on. It's time to. When people start sensing that actually we don't want you to get to a role for more than two years. Um, of course, our business leaders believe two between two and three years is healthy. And that should be the case, especially if you come into a role not having all the skills and the experiences. So you have that two to three years to really master something. But the reality is uh, people are gravitating towards this. I have another case. This was very interesting. The person came from the customer service office. She said, I already know the agile ways of working. I already know the customer data and experience. I could bring all that to HR. I said, definitely. And she's in the talent catalyst. She's doing a fantastic job because she has the different mindset about Let's understand the customer needs before we do anything. Uh, the same with employees. I think more and more you're going to see that. And, and to be honest, let's be real. If you work in global companies or any companies that large, we have this fantasy that we are going to bring outside in thinking and suddenly things change. Culture change, everything change. It's not the case. You have to be very surgical. You bring the talent that you need in specific roles that are critical for triggering new ways of working and doing things. But you cannot overload the organization with all outside in because then you lose track of your culture. It, it is something that happens that actually makes those newcomers uh, fail. I see a lot of this data, and I'm not going to mention data specific to Prudential, but overall you can see that it's not so rosy, the picture of bringing people from outside, because it's very hard to be successful in organizations that have been here for hundreds of years, right? We are a 140-year company. So we have to balance that. And we saw more success helping our people engage in new career paths internally. So this is all positive. Yeah, I know I've seen examples from several companies, again, I won't name them, but, you know, of where they've done some analysis to look at, you know, time to productivity, for example, of internal hires versus external hires, cost of external hires versus external hires those sorts of things and and i guess what we're all trying to do we talked to we mentioned briefly about hoarding talent what we want to do is make it easier for an internal person to, to get another role within prudential financial versus getting a role on the outside it, we, we've all kind of heard the stories of how long it sometimes takes to, to get it not in prudential obviously but in it to get a to get an internal move sometimes and it can be harder to move internally than it can to to get a role outside and I guess underpinning what you're doing with analytics helps you identify if if that was was ever a case you'd be able to communicate that one other example I was I mean you, you, you mentioned two to three years you know as being ideal as being in a role um, I don't know if you've done this sort of analysis yet but you know I've seen examples from other organizations where they found that the biggest driver of attrition is actually around tenure in role. And, and people that have been in role for, let's say, three years have a more than 
more chance of leaving and someone had been in that role for less than three years. And that actually is that that's the case for internal mobility is nothing else because you're potentially losing a lot of great talent out of the organization because the perception is that you're not providing opportunities for people to, to move. So uh, I guess that's a sort of a, a, a nice project for, for, for your workforce analytics team. The reality is now we are going to introduce the gig economy, the project space, the talent marketplace. 3.0 is coming out now in January, first quarter. And now we are going to see the power of creating movement. Even when there is no actual movement, you might be 20% in your current role, 30% in a new project, and 30% in an innovation focus group. It will be cool to see how we can make this even more flexible, that you don't need to actually move from a reporting structure. You just need different experiences. And that's going to be great when to achieve which leads to the new role of the manager, which is not about managing, it's about coaching, which is a different story. Tell, tell me more. Tell me more about that. Though. Well, the, the role of the manager, I came to IBM like in 2013 to transform the manager experience. But in favor of the customer experience in our whole transformation, I was there as the head of leadership development during the critical years from 13 to 17. And it was obvious to me that managers held the key for us to engage in employees and engage the organization, especially the middle manager. You know, we, the famous middle management that always can be seen as the block. I don't believe in that. I, I do believe in engagement. We don't engage people fast enough, but when you engage them, they start seeing their roles as different and they're much more active. I think managers will become career coaches. I think the nomenclature has to change too, because if you are working different projects, the project lead is a scrum master. People are going to be all over the organization and they don't even need the title of manager to be a scrum master. They can lead great product development without that. So the role of the people coach is to coach them through their careers and really create an environment where they can be their best. That's what it is. The role that you, you talked about, the vision you talked about with people doing, they don't need to move as such. They might just be working on a project. It's a great way to apply some of that knowledge you've learned. So if you, you've got skills one, two, and three, you've done some learning to acquire skills four and five, but then you're able to apply those on a project straight away. How better to... To, to kind of develop. And the idea of project assessments give the career coach, the manager in this case, and the opportunity to assess the overall performance and your overall feedback in, in gaps that they can help you with. So it's important to assess your performance within the projects that you're in. We cannot lose sight of that. I think there's a nice link there with strategic workforce planning. I know you've established a strategic workforce planning within your area. How is that going and what can you tell us about that? This is interesting. Well, I have to, to be honest, we are piloting this with our technology team. But the cool thing is this, we all have been through workforce planning. I used to do strategy planning for IBM for a long time. But the reality is it's finance-based, finance you know, the SGNA and the FTEs and all that. And it's a mathematics exercise. This is not. We decided to create a strategic workforce planning that accounts for the demographics of your organization because you don't plan your workforce just by numbers. You plan your workforce based on skills, based on the demographics to increase the diversity of thought and inclusion and the affordability. Of course, affordability is important, but also the, the start reinventing jobs in the levels of jobs as well. So it's very intricate because now we have a strategic workforce planning that helps you assess the needs and demands and supply, of course, demand for skills and capabilities, 
the, the, the composition of your workforce based on demographics, which I think is critical from now on. And on top of that, you have a skills-based plan. So it's very comprehensive. I mean, we are very excited by next year, I give you the results, but uh, we are very excited at least to implement this. It's new to Prudential to do strategic workforce planning. And it kind of, there's a nice link with the talent marketplace, I guess, because you're then getting the organizational benefit. Exactly. That's that's the goal. And you've got a really interesting perspective on skills. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? I've been doing this for a long time, and I think most of us, and, and, and to be honest, too, is maturity, right? You start getting a different awareness. Um, the other day, somebody was saying that we have three phases in our professional lives, 20 to 40, 40 to 60, 60 to 80. I totally believe in that, maybe because I'm getting more mature, but I do believe in... <laughs> I do believe in that. It's critical for us to do that. But then when I think about skills, uh, uh, we have to be careful. HR, sometimes we are so into trends. Of course, we have trends that are going to be pervasive and are going to be sustainable and are going to be part of our foundational capabilities. However, the idea of skills as a currency, I totally believe it has been a currency, but I'm anticipating that's not enough. I think skills is just one piece of the, the equation here. Um, it's almost like you're a, you're a musician, but you know how to play just one instrument. That's yeah. not going to help the orchestra that much because you need to have an awareness of other things. Other things such as self-management, the what MIT now is calling the enduring human capabilities. And I like the idea of capabilities because none of the roles you're going to have in the future are going to require just one skill or two. They're going to require a cluster of skills that combined with your maturity in how to collaborate and sense the organizational needs and the strategy of the organization leads you to be successful in your role. So you see, it becomes more complex. I think the world is becoming much more complex at all levels. But I think if you can be conscious of that, you can be very successful. And of course, arguably it's become more complex you know, in the last year because of the because of the pandemic as well. It's um which leads quite nicely onto the, the question we're asking all, all our guests on the show in this series. If we think about the massive impact we've just been through the biggest well, we are still in the biggest remote working experiment in history. What should HR leaders do to help their organizations for a future where there will likely be an increase in, in hybrid working or remote working compared to before the pandemic? I think the number one is self-acceptance. You know, if you think about, take everything that's happening, every all the forces that are impacting us, HR has a responsibility to respond to the person as a whole person now. Now it's clearly a matter of understanding what are the boundaries between the personal and the professional. And also in understanding one thing, I come from a clinical background. I have a clinical social work background. And I think what I saw is intimacy is increasing with the virtual workforce because you see people's houses, you understand their difficulties, their challenges, their personal challenges. You start getting to know people much more, much deeper. And I think HR has avoided the idea that humans in the workplace need care for their emotional health, their mental health, and actually all the areas that makes people feel that they are in flow. The whole idea of flow and being high potential, high, high performing, it's about being equilibrium. So we are going to be much more sensitive to the idea that the whole person 
has to be well-balanced in a good trajectory, in a positive mindset. Think about future positive mindset. That's the goal of HR in the next five years, instilling a culture of future positive mindset where people believe that tomorrow is going to be better than today. And I hope it is, and I believe it will be. If anything, it's human resources being more helping their organizations be more human human centric i think one of the big aspect features of the of the pandemic for me has actually been that focus of organizations or many organizations on employee wellness and uh, safety and health above everything else actually and it's something that is maybe it's one of the good things from the pandemic that's hopefully will will continue forward as you said it's a it's an equilibrium you know i don't know if you I, you probably read some of the same reports as me oh yeah productivity's gone up during the pandemic well that probably just means people are working longer hours. What's the cost of that? And as you said, there's an equilibrium that we need to help our organization strike. I tell you what, Wagner, it's absolutely flown by, as I knew it would. Um, great conversation. Thanks for being a guest on the show. You know, how can people stay in touch with you and, and follow you on social media if you if you do social media? Thank you very much, David. I've been avoiding a little bit social media right now because it's a little overwhelming, but you can always find me LinkedIn, of course. And my Gmail is Wagnerdenus at Gmail. You can always reach me there. Um, but it's been a pleasure too, because I know how much work you have been putting into this podcast and it's extremely valuable. Every time I hear a nuance, a different way of positioning ourselves and our value, it creates even more value for the whole community. So I appreciate it. Thank you for doing that for us. Well, and thank you, Wagner. Thank you for sharing your time and expertise and really exciting work that you're doing at Prudential Financial. So thank you for being on the show and um, we'll definitely speak again soon. Thank you, David. Looking forward to it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. If you haven't already, do check out the My HR Future Academy at myhrfuture.com. It's a learning experience platform for HR professionals looking to get certified in people analytics, digital HR, and workforce planning. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter by going to the My HR Future website. That's all for this episode, but please make sure you tune in next week when we'll be speaking to Harvard Business School professor Ethan Bernstein about workforce transparency and the impact and implications of the biggest remote working experiment in history. So don't miss that one. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you next time.